Thank you for listening to the podcast of Dublin Bible Church. Well, if you are a first-timer to DBC, um, this is a great day to be here. We're launching a new series called Dear Stand Confessions. You probably knew there was something new because of the big monstrosity that is behind me right now, right? Um, well, this uh, I'll kind of give you the, uh, the lead-in as to like why this series and why this time. Um, this is Middle Georgia, and there are actually three seasons here in Middle Georgia. They're, really, there they're are four in other parts of the country, but there are only three here. There's, there's, uh, there's football season, right? Anybody excited about that? There's football season. Um, there's hunting season, right, which just came in yesterday. And then there's the off season where all men and, and most women and children go into hiding, right? That's all there is. That's the three seasons. So what we do as a church, we say, you know what? Everybody's talking about hunting. Everybody's, everybody's, you look around, everybody is, is doing the hunting thing for the most part. If you don't, you know somebody that does. If you've gone to, to Walmart, you know that everybody else is already talking about hunting. So we just thought, you know what? If everybody's talking about it, so should we. So should we. So I, I have, um, I'm, I'm, I do hunt a little bit. I'm not a good hunter. So I'm not just going to go through and say, you know, I'm, I'm all of that and a bag of chips. Although I think maybe my wife thinks maybe no, I'm all, no no she doesn't think that I'm all that in the bag of chips sorry I got ahead of myself but I'm not that great of a hunter but one thing that that I do uh, want to share with you are some experiences I have had over the last three years of hunting and these have these have culminated in in a situation with me being in the deer stand and kind of like looking around and just reflecting really reflecting upon the Lord and then and then in doing so it just really started to see some weaknesses in my life. And, and the thing that, that this week and kind of the lead for this whole sermon series is one that I was really challenged with, and, and this is something that kind of, it haunts me at times. Usually it haunts me, if I'm honest. When it haunts me is when I think that I'm bigger than what I actually am. When I think I can handle more than I can actually handle. And then all of a sudden, the way the Lord has worked in my life in, in situations especially in times when I'm in a deer stand, is I'll sit there and I just reflect upon my life. And whatever the hardship is that's going through at the time, a lot of times the Lord kind of speaks directly into my life and He reveals to me that I'm not God and that He is. And, you know, this is it's something, it's a recurring theme in me. And, and when I go through hardships, and, and I bet you're the same way, when you go through hardships, you can either try and take them upon with your own power and your own might, and more than likely you're going to be what? Let down, because you're going to fail. And this is one of the confessions that I have. I fail. And for me, I, I reflect, and God speaks to me when I'm in creation. For me, it's, it's the woods. For you, it could be the beach. For you, it could be your, 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 you know, your lazy boy at home. It could be wherever. It could be sitting, uh, just having a cup of coffee with some friends. But for me, this is how the Lord speaks to me. So all of these messages, including this one, are, are birthed out of experiences that I personally have had. And this week, specifically, the big idea is, He is God, and I am not. Um, who has seen the, the movie Rudy? by the way, an older movie from the 80s, right? Um, from a mountain of a young man who goes to play football at the University of what? Notre Dame, right? We, you don't even want to say that in Georgia, especially everybody's in mourning because all our teams lost, except Georgia Tech, right? Any Georgia Techs? Yeah, 
We have a couple. There's your moment in the sun. Um, but, you know, even Hollywood understands this idea that there is a God who's bigger than us. There's a quote from the movie Rudy, and I recently saw this, and, and it's one of those things the Lord speaks to me and kind of reveals things to me, and I, this is one of those deals. I'm watching TV, and I'm like, I find my phone, and I'm typing the notes in, into my smartphone. I'm saying, man, I don't want to miss this. And then it kind of culminated when I was studying for this message. And in the movie Rudy, kind of the premise is this, this hard-charging kid, he's, you know, he's not a, a big fella at all, but he, he really, his like, goal, his, his goal at that time, lifelong goal, whatever, is to go play football at the University of Notre Dame. Everybody says, no, you're undersized, you can't do it. He worked hard. Eventually, at the end of the movie, rah, 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 he got on the field. It was awesome. He was the hero. Right? That was the movie. Well, part of that movie that was so interesting is Rudy's going through, and he's having some, some issues, and he's kind of trying to sift through and say, you know, is, is this dream worth it for me to play football? I mean, everybody tells me no. I've got my family telling me no, and yet I believe that I can do it, and yet they're, they're receiving me as part of the team, but yet I, I'm in this struggle because what do I do? Because I've got this idea and this thing I want to do, but everybody's telling me no. So he goes to see... Um, Somebody in the ministry. And he goes before, it was a priest in his setting at University of Notre Dame, and he goes before him, and he's kind of getting some counsel from this priest. And, and the priest culminates through, and his advice is, is very succinct. He says, you know, he says, there are two things I've learned in this life. There's a God, and I'm not him. And that was the advice from the priest. And that kind of hit me, because... That's the exact same thing that, that I learned whenever I was in the deer stand, and I've been reminded of in the deer stand, is there's a God who's bigger than me, who's more powerful than me, who knows more than me, who's stronger than me, and I am not Him. And I shouldn't try to be. So in honor of, of this idea, I welcome you to open up to the book of Psalms, and we're going to be in Psalm 19. Here's a little cheat for Psalm 19. I say this all the time. Um, if you're not somebody who's like well in tune with the Word of God, here's a really easy way of being able to find it. Close your Bible all the way up. If you open your Bible right to just about the middle, you're probably going to be in Proverbs or Psalms. If you're in the Psalms, it's going to be easy to find Psalm 19. If you're in Proverbs, flip back one book and it will be there, Psalm 19. There are a few uh, creation Psalms in the Bible, and this is one. And we believe that this psalm was written by King David. Uh, if you are, or you consider yourself a manly man, he's your guy. David is, he certainly was that. Uh, he was the giant slayer, but also he was not just a manly man. He was somebody who, who, was, who was in touch with the Lord, and he was not afraid to show his weakness. He was not afraid to show his weakness. As a matter of fact, in some of the other psalms, you're not going to see it in this one, some of the other psalms, it's like he just pours his heart out there for everybody to see and read. It's just He's just as real as it gets. Can we get real this morning? Can, can we get real and just say, I don't have it all together? If there's a God and I'm not Him, maybe I've tried, maybe you've tried, maybe she's tried. You just I've tried to be God. I've tried to do it all myself. And maybe we could just, before we even go into this reading, maybe we could just come through with, with a heart that is 
that is open before God and saying, you know what? And there's repentance saying, I'm not God. Please speak to me. Well, David kind of jumps out in verse 1, and I mean, he just, he goes for it, right? Right from the get-go. This is probably something that you have seen. They put these verses on posters, on t-shirts, and yet it is an incredible, incredible truth and message. Verse 1 says this, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. That the heavens declare the glory of God. That from the beginning of time, not, not like time as far as we're concerned, all, the beginning of time, like when time started, whenever God like started to put everything into motion, from that time to this time, all the way through to the end of time, as far as we're concerned here on earth, God has been, been declaring His glory through the heavens. Every single day of every single moment when the sun comes out, when you see the sun, moon, and stars, every bit of that, God has been shouting His glory over us. Anybody excited about that? And He's been revealing to us, I am God, I am Creator, and you are not. That's awesome and that's scary at the same time. And yet it says, the skies proclaim the work of His hands. That God is Creator. That, that it, it's not some happenstance thing. It's not just an accident. God created. The heavens have been, been pouring forth His glory. Just, a, just echoes of glory. Every single day pouring over us. Whether we look up and see it or not, it is still happening. It's happening right now. And yet, the skies... Proclaim the work of His hands. Of the Creator's hands. Not a scientist explanation as to what happened at creation. But the Creator's hands. Displaying His handiwork. Every day. Moment by moment. Verse 2. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. It's day after day. They pour forth speech. There's a God. He is Creator. We are not. There is a God. He is Creator. We are not. Every day. Been, been just speaking over us. Every single day. And it says night after night they display knowledge. That's knowledge of a Creator that's bigger than us. That's bigger than our explanation. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. There is no speech, verse 3, again, there is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. So, although the sun is shining here on the other part of the world, it, it is dark. We know this. Scientists can, can tell us this. They've proven this. And yet, God be glorified. His glory reigns upon us every single day, in every single situation. Although we go about our lives, and be honest with you, we spend, we spend time doing meaningless things. God has been just pouring forth speech over us, saying, I am God, you are not. I am Creator. Every single day. 
when we're going to, and maybe we're doing things that we deem meaningful, He's still pouring forth speech over us. And He's revealing knowledge to us that I am Creator. Stop trying to figure it all out and just surrender to me. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. That means not only in the great United States of America, but but in all in South America and in Australia and in Antarctica and at the North Pole in Greenland and Iceland and Great Britain and France and Russia, everywhere else, every place else, to, to the random boat who's in the middle of the Pacific Ocean right now, and the waves are crashing over them, God has been is just pouring forth His speech of His glory and His creative power every single day in every single moment. And in every instant, He's telling us, I am Creator, you are not. Just surrender. Just surrender. I love this. The end of verse 4. In the heavens He has pitched a tent for the sun which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. The language of verse 5 is kind of it's lost for us in the English language. Like We don't really understand this, this idea of a bridegroom coming from a pavilion, but I'll illustrate it in this way. Remember on, on your wedding day or a wedding that you've gone to, and as soon as, as the wedding's over and they play the, they play the music and, you know, and, and the husband and wife are getting ready to just they bust the doors open of, of the church and then the husband and wife go outside and everybody, you know, in the old, olden days they would throw rice, right? Until birds started like blowing up from eating too much rice, you know? So, so we'll, we'll revert back to, you know, or rather we'll go forward to what we do now, throwing bird seed and you go outside of of the doors and they throw them open and you see husband and wife and they're just gleaming, aren't they? They're just gleaming and it's just they're so excited about that day. That's the that's probably the biggest day in their life at that time, maybe maybe outside of their salvation experience with Christ. And everybody looks at them and everybody's celebrating with them and that's the language he's using there. He's like when those doors get flung open and you have, you have bride and, and, and groom going outside there and they're so excited. Their they're future is just, just starting together and everybody's there for them and they're all talking about them and ooing aahing over them. And, and just imagine that moment and yet that's the language that David writes so beautifully here in Psalm 19. Which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion. This is God revealing Himself every single day. Earlier, I, every Sunday morning, I, I, I pray around the church, not just this room, but, but everything that goes on. And I was even reminded of this as I'm praying. I pray with my eyes open, right? People think I'm lost out there. And I'm, 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 I'm cornering this side of the building, and there was just, just a sun ray that was just coming right over the roof line and for some reason, that there was some, some mist in the air, and it caught the sun rays as it was going all the way down to the ground. It was so beautiful, and I thought about this. I thought about this specifically, just how beautiful that is, that God is just pouring forth His speech and His love and the knowledge of Him as being Creator, and He's just saying, I am Creator, I am God, I be glorified. As I'm seeing the, the sun rays just cut through that mist. It was beautiful. 
beautiful. Verse 6 says, It rises at one end of the heavens, and it makes its circuit to the others. There is nothing hidden from its heat. Talking about the sun. It rises one end of the heavens, and it goes to the other. Every day. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to make it happen. It just happens. Right? The sun sets in, in which direction? Tell me. West. But it starts in the east every single day. You don't have to make it happen. You just get to enjoy it. And every time that happens, it, it, you can reflect upon this psalm. But David's just saying, you know what? It's just like clockwork, man. It just happens every single day. I mean, it's just like the sun does that. And, and as he's going before God, and, and in his day, they would spend a lot of time outside where we don't spend a lot of time outside typically. And yet he would spend a lot of time outside. He would have this reminder every single day and be able to see the sun rise and set. And him as being a shepherd, he would spend a lot of time outside and a lot of hard work that was done in that setting. And he would just sit outside and he could reflect upon God's creation. And there's something that's amazing. I found this quote from Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Um, somebody who just has a brilliant mind, and, and I try and glean as much as I can, and this is something he's quoted as saying, the sun, moon, and stars are God's traveling creatures. They're God's traveling creatures. And it says that they are apostles upon their journey, confirming those who regard the Lord. I love this. I love the, the imagery of this. The, the sun, moon, and stars, as they go about and they do their thing, if you are one with God, you're reminded, oh, I am one with God. God loves me, and I'm, I'm loved by God. I'm loved by God, and I love God. And you just, as he horse, uh, just brings forth his speech upon you and saying, I am creator God, and you are not. And then you, we come before him in humility and say, I know, and it's awesome, because I know that you're for me. I know that you love me. I know that, you're, that your way for me is the best. And he says they are apostles upon their journey, confirming those who regard the Lord, who, those who are with the Lord, but also it they are judges on circuit, condemning those who worship idols. That's the other side of it. You can't have just you can't have one or the other. You have to have both. God is the God of love, but He's also uh, the God of truth. He's the God of grace, but He's also the God of truth. And it's the sun, moon, and stars. We're just just fixed for us to see every single day, reminding us that there's a Creator and that we need to submit to our Creator. That it speaks to us that they're traveling preachers. There's a transition in the text here in verse 7. The created world and the heavens that we see and the skies that we can enjoy, that He wants us to, to go out and to and to have a knowledge of the existence of God because of creation, but also He wants us to have a knowledge of God and a relationship with God because of the written Word. And that's what you see coming up in verse 7. Speaking of His holy Word, He says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. 
The fear of the Lord is pure, is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is a great reward. That the law of the Lord is perfect. It is without error. And it revives the soul. The only way that you can be that you can be okay with Almighty God is if you surrender to Him. And the only way that you're going to know that you need to surrender to Him is by the power of, or really, it's by the power of the Holy Spirit speaking through His Word. So we look at creation. Creation reveals a knowledge of God. His Word reveals our need of God. As the Old Testament paints a picture, and, and specifically in the books of the law, that, that really that the law was never meant to have us to be okay with God. It was only meant to show us that we couldn't be okay with God because we couldn't keep the law. We couldn't keep the law. So there had to be something more. There had to be something more. If you look at just the Old Testament, it was revealing to us our weakness, our inability to keep the law. And then Jesus comes along in the New Testament and He says, you know what, I got the answer. The answer wasn't the law the whole time. The law was a schoolkeeper letting you know the things that you should do, the things you should, you should not do, and the things that you failed in, things you're doing okay in. Never to take away or to substitute what we have in Christ. You can only be okay with God through Christ. And the way that we know about Christ is through His written Word. What's your time like in the Word? Is this your only time in the Word? I have to tell you, if this is your only time in the Word all week long, you're a dry cup. You're dry. You may not even know it. And it says in verse 7 that the law of the Lord is perfect, it's without error, and it revives the soul. I would say this, there are, there are a lot of people who walk around depressed in this life because they don't read the Word of God or they don't believe the Word of God. They may believe in the existence of God, but they haven't surrendered to God. Instead, what they do is they try and take everything upon themselves and they try and handle everything themselves and then they wonder why that they feel so weak is because they're unable to handle that situation. Where all the while God is saying, I am Creator, you are not, submit yourselves before me. And then, verse 7 says, you will have your soul revived. Then you will have your soul revived. I was watching TV a while back, and I, I, just one of the news outlets, I'm not going to tell you which one, and a very, a very popular journalist was interviewing another very popular pastor. That was pretty vague, wasn't it? That's where we're going to leave it. And as he's going through this interview, I think he, he was being interviewed for like a book or something that, that the pastor had written. And, you know, so he had a couple, uh, couple minutes there to fill. And the journalist started asking questions about the book. And then all of a sudden, the journalist just started hammering him. And he was going through and he was attacking the Word of God. And he says, you know, here's the thing. Yeah, I understand that the Bible is, is, is a sacred book. But he started to ask him, he says, isn't the Bible out of date? It's, I mean, this journalist was, was just 
railing on this pastor. He says, isn't the Bible out of date? He's like, really? I mean, because, you know, when you sit back and you look at our culture, it's like it really doesn't speak into our culture. You know what? Some of us believe the same thing and maybe don't even act like it. We go through and we receive the news outlets. We, we receive what happens in our day. And then we start to have a soft edge to sin. And we start to have a, a soft edge to the way things, the way that you see things. And you think, well, maybe that's just the way it should be. Maybe the Bible is a little out of date. I have to tell you, the Bible is a timeless collection of writings. It's timeless. It's inerrant. It is holy. But it's also personal. And it was written for us. It isn't that God needed to write this down. He's like, you know what? I just want to, I want to put all that I'm thinking on, on to, you know, uh, into a bunch of pieces of paper, and they're going to put it together, and it needs to be the Bible so that God can be reminded as to what God said. I think He already knows what He said. It's here for us. And this pastor, it was, it was amazing. He went through, and he, he handled it so much better probably than I would have because I would have been a little bit fired up. As soon as he did that, you start attacking the Word of God, and like, I start to bristle up a little bit. And yet, he, he was so graceful in the way that he handled it. And he said, you know what? He said, the Bible is old. I mean, approximately, depends who you talk to, there are 39 or 40 authors written over approximately 1,500 years, right? I consider that old. I don't care how old you are, you consider that old, right? And he said, you know, given, given that, that information, he says, yeah, it's old, but the Bible is never out of date. And he actually pressed into him a little bit, and he said, not, not, in, a, not in, in, a, in a harsh way, but he pressed into him a little bit, and he said, um, well, he said, really, here's, here's the difference. Christians believe that the Word of God trumps our belief in people's actions. And he said, what the culture is, is putting out is that my experience precedes the Word of God. So in other words, with, with the culture that we live in and the generations that are rising up, they're validating their experience in such a way and say, well, my experience says that the Bible's not true. And all the while, God's Word is true. It is unswerving truth. It is timeless truth for all generations at all times. No matter what generation you are, the Bible has never stopped being true true says the statutes of the Lord are trustworthy that it's a sure testimony that Old and New Testament all are about Jesus every book is about Jesus it's either getting people's hearts ready for Jesus or telling them about Jesus or it's saying hey Jesus did this you need to do this or Jesus did this, He was resurrected, we need to celebrate the resurrection, we need to come together as a group of believers to encourage one another and, and to love on one another, and because of that, we're going to gather together, but we're also going to tell other people about the good news of Jesus. So it's all about Jesus, that it's a sure testimony, that it's not an unswerving truth, it isn't just sub subject to our cultural ideas, no matter what culture you live in, no matter where you're from, what generation you're from, it is a sure testimony. And yet there are, there are others who argue that, that the Bible is, it is supposed to be a, a, and they'll use the word, a living document. And an organic document. That, it, that it, it can be changed because it's out of date. 
And what David is speaking into right here, he says this is the sure testimony of God's Word. It, it should be unhindered. It doesn't need to be added to. Nothing needs to be taken from it. It is complete in this form. It is God's Holy Word written to us. This is something that was uh, spoken about in the book of Deuteronomy. You don't have to flip there to be on the screen. Deuteronomy 4.2 says this, Do not add to what I command you and do not subtract from it, but keep the commands of the Lord your God that I give you. He's saying, hey, you don't have to try and add your own little bit to it. You don't need to take away from it. You just need to do what it says. That's it. You don't need to add to it. You don't need to say, well, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an organic document. It needs to mold and shape for every generation. No, no, no. No, it doesn't need to. It's old, but it's not out of date. It's always in style. Always. And it can be trusted. It says in verse 8, The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the hearts. That they're right. We're reminded in 2 Peter 1.20 that no prophecy of Scripture came from someone else's own or someone's own interpretation. Nothing that happened in the Bible was just because, you know, Peter was sitting there and he says, you know what, I'm not really sure about that. I'm just going to write it down and I'm going to send it out to the peeps and we're just going to see what happens. That God's Word was God's idea the whole time. That God's Word, as it's being carried out through those approximately 1,500 years of 39 or 40 authors, all of those people carrying through the same message of Jesus Christ. That it wasn't their idea. You know this to be true. You know this to be true. In, in, in your family, just in your family, you go to a family reunion, right? We do family reunions right here in middle Georgia. You go to a family reunion, and you, you could go up, and you could, you could talk to some of your family members, be totally convinced of something, and go, for the, go before them and say, yeah, this happened and this happened and this happened, but yet you will not even be able to convince your brother or sister that that happened. Right? You know what I'm saying? Like, you could go through and you couldn't convince anybody of anything of, of that group, but yet we have one consistent message through 40 authors, all of the different characters who are, who are encapsulated in the Bible over approximately 1,500 years with the same message. Jesus is coming Jesus is coming. Jesus is here. Do what he said. That's the simplicity of the gospel. It says it's, it's the end of verse 8. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. John, uh, uh, John 8, 12, Jesus said this, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That the written Word of God is, is leading us into the knowledge and understanding that we would submit ourselves before the light of the world, Jesus Christ. Drawing our hearts to Him. It says the commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. And Jesus says, hey, yeah, I'm the embodiment of that. I am the light of the world. This is, this is me. You, it, it was, you thought I was talking about something else, and you, you were kind of lost in the moment about all those different things and all those different authors. But he says, it's all about me. It's really about me. It's really about me. And he says, I'm the light of the world, and whoever follows me, this will be good news for somebody, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. Some of you are in darkness right now, and you know it. You go through your life 
just without a clue. And I would submit to you this. The reason why you go through life and you don't have a clue and you seem lost and your heart is distraught is because you've never accepted Jesus Christ in a personal way. Because Jesus says, I am the light of the world and who, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life, eternal life. John 10.10, you know this, I've reminded you over the last several weeks, tells us that we're promised not only eternal life, but life to the full, which is here, now. And yet, if we continue this through, it says, The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, the honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is a great reward. Verse 11 says, By them is your servant warned. I'll illustrate it this way. Several years ago, I was a, 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 new, uh, a new driver, and I had just gotten a stick shift, which is incredibly fun to drive. If you don't know how to, stick, if you don't know how to drive a stick shift, they, just, they make driving fun. Because you can like be like Mario Andretti and not actually go anywhere at all, but you feel like it. It's incredible. But I remember I, I had this little, this little 85 Chevette. I mean, it was uh, something to behold. And I had this little car, and I remember it was, it was at night. I had been at a friend's house, and I was trying to make my way back into town. And as I'm coming back into town, it's, it, at this time, I grew up in Illinois. At this time, there was ice on the road. It was kind of kind of scary and I'm a new driver and I'm trying to figure out the stick shift and I, what I did was as I was coming through trying to slow down I read the engine up I was in the wrong gear and I kind of spun out and I slammed up against a guardrail alright I bought the car it wasn't my dad's car but I slammed up against the guardrail I kind of gathered myself straightened it out and I went up the road you see the guardrail it, it seems like it's harsh but the guardrail keeps, it kept me away from real danger. Because in that situation, if I would have not had the guardrail, I would have just flipped off into this deep ditch and I would have rolled my vehicle and I would have really gotten hurt. So the guardrail is not something that is, it's something that actually keeps you away from danger. It's not the dangerous thing itself. As a matter of fact, a guardrail, you hit it, the, the purpose of a guardrail is to do what? Bring you back into where you were. That's the same thing that the Word of God does for us. The Word of God is not supposed to be a schoolmaster to just pound you, pound you, pound you. But the Word of God and the truth of God is supposed to be like a guardrail that says, hey, oh, you're drifting a little bit off course. You need to, you need to kind of pay attention to, to your surroundings. You need to get this right. You need to get that right. And yet we bump up against that guardrail. We bump up against the truth of God. And God says, I love you, but you're accountable to this truth in God's Word in hopes that we would come back to the road, back to the course that we're supposed to go on. That's the purpose of the Word of God. Just like the guardrail for me, yeah, it caused a little bit of damage, and, you know, as I was reminded the next day when my dad was chewing me out because I scraped up the whole side of my car. But the reality is, I was okay. My car was drivable. But if that guardrail wasn't there, if we didn't, if we didn't have the Word of God, which I believe... By God giving us His Word, it's a reminder of His love for us. 
But if I didn't have that guardrail and you didn't have the Word of God, then what we would do is we would just go completely off course and we would have no way of getting back to God's best for us. And yet, many of us, we fear the guardrail. We fear the truth. We don't want to be reminded of the truth. But the purpose of God's Word is to bring us back into fellowship with Him. It's just to bring us back. He's saying, I am God, you are not. Humble yourself before me. Come on back. I am God, you are not. Humble yourself before me and come on back. Verse 12. This is incredible. He says, Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. It's a rhetorical question. He knows who can discern his heirs. It's Almighty God. He knows this. And he's, and he's saying, who can forgive my hidden faults? The, the, the hidden ones, the ones I'm not even sure of. Who can do that? Jesus Christ. He says, who can forgive the ones that I, when I know that I'm doing wrong and I still go and do the wrong thing? He says, Jesus Christ. That's it. It's only by the blood work of the cross that we can be forgiven of our sins. Yet we're reminded right here that we do have hidden faults. And if we're honest, there's, there's areas of disobedience in our life. There are. There are areas of disobedience. And even by me saying that, you're probably reminded of it. I would say this. That's, that's a guardrail. This is an opportunity for you just to come on back. That's a guardrail. Just come on back. David knew where to receive that forgiveness. It was from the Lord Jesus. And it's the only way that we can as well. The only way. Um, hold your place there if you would, please. We're, we're going to go quickly to Romans 6, verse 11. I'm going to go a little bit deeper into this idea. Romans 6, verse 11, New Testament, right after the Gospels, right after the book of Acts. This is what God's Word, say, God's Word says right here. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its evil desires. So we have an option, church. We have an option. If you have received Jesus Christ, you can either continue to do the wrong thing, but yet we have this clear path marked out for us by the cross of the Lord Jesus and by the truth of His Word of saying this is the right thing, but we have a choice, and Paul speaks into this. He says, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin, as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. He's saying, hey, you have, you have received eternal life from the Lord Jesus. Live like it. Live like it. Your body is to be an instrument of righteousness. Think about this. Men and women, when you go home and you're the only ones at your house and you're looking at your computer screen and the things that you're looking at, the things that you just allow to come in and that you feed off of. 
remember this. You, your body is an instrument of righteousness. And by letting your eyes and letting your heart and your mind absorb the garbage that you may see on that computer screen, you as a Christian are supposed to be an instrument of righteousness, not an instrument of wickedness. It's the same thing when somebody wants to go through and gossip and they want to badmouth somebody else in the church or outside of the church. If somebody, even somebody in your workplace, in your, your co-worker or your boss wants to gossip about someone else, are you going to allow that ear to be an instrument of wickedness or righteousness? Are you going to let it stop with you? Are you going to speak truth into that situation? Are you going to let your ear and, and your mind, just in your mouth, become an instrument of wickedness? We have all kinds of choices to make, don't we? The way, that, the way that you love your kids, it's the same way. I'll speak directly into you men. Because the way that we're wired, it's easy for us to, to kind of detach away from our families and kind of, kind of go, go solo and kind of do our own thing. It's like it's, it's in our natural bent to do that. And I would say this, your body is supposed to be an instrument of righteousness. Stay checked into your family. Stay checked in. Stay checked in. If you're a student and you're, you're subject to all of the pressures, I mean, even, even different and more pressures than what I had growing up, I would just press into you this. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, your body isn't supposed to be an instrument of righteousness. Be careful who you're with. Be careful what you do. Your body, it's, it's a choice you make. You, you can either have your body as an instrument of wickedness or righteousness. Stay pure. And he uses this, this language, Paul uses this language right in the middle of verse 13. He says, as those who have been brought from death to life. If you have been brought, from, brought back from something, maybe a deep-rooted sin, maybe a broken relationship, maybe your marriage was on the rocks, and all of a sudden it's like you found God's Word, you found the hope that's found in God's Word in a relationship with God, you surrendered to Him, and the Lord brought your marriage back together. He says you, you may understand that what a little bit of death is, and he says remember how God brought life to that relationship? Remember how God, there was death in you, and you didn't have any friends, and you were so distraught, you surrendered to Jesus Christ, and now you felt alive again? He, that's the picture he's painting here. He says, you're a changed person. Live like it. You're a changed person. And he says, and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. Verse 14, for sin shall not be your master because you are not under the law, but you are under grace. See, I love this. I love there's such hope in this because we don't just have a God that reminds us just, you know, the, the bad school teacher that just goes through and just scolds us and reminds us of everything bad that we've ever done. No, we have a God who says, you know what? Yeah, you've done this wrong. You're accountable, but I love you. We have a God that's for us. He's not for our sin, but he's for us. He's for all of humanity, so much so that, that he sent Jesus to die on the cross for humanity. And that Jesus willingly went to the cross for humanity to save souls. We should live like it. Our bodies should be something that, 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 we, that we live in, in this life, that we should use our bodies as an instrument of worship, instrument of righteousness. That we could join with what David talked about in Psalm 19, specifically, 
in the first verses. So that by, the, by just being instruments of righteousness, we would pour forth our own bit of glory back to Almighty God and say, you know what? It's not me. It's you. It's not me. It's you. You are God. I am not. I humble myself before you. The end of verse 13. Psalm 19, 13. Flipping back there. It says this. He says, then will I be blameless, innocent of my transgression. The only way that you can that you can have forgiveness of sins is through the cross of Jesus. That's it. That's it. Because He is God and you are not. You can't work it out. You can't give it out. You can't serve it out. You can't be friends with somebody enough. You can't empty all of your money in your bank account and give it away and be okay with God. It's only through Jesus. That's the only way that we can be innocent of the great transgression. But then at the end of verse 14, David's kind of giving the progression of creation, the written Word of God, what it looks like to, to have sins forgiven. But then at the end of verse 14, this is what we all want right here. We want to be in fellowship with God. We want to know God, and we want to love God, and we want to sense His presence in our life. Do we want that, church? That's what I want. David says, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. He says, I understand that you're God, and I understand that, that I am not. And he says, and I surrender my life before you. I kneel down to you. You are God. I am not. You are holy. I, I, the only way I can be holy is by receiving Jesus. He says, I, I, I get that. It's only through you. And then he sends out this plea. And I would hope that as, as we sing songs in just a moment, and as we leave from this place, I, I would hope that this would be a plea that, that you would make every single day. May the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. I'll word it this way. May I stay in fellowship with you. I know your presence so I can sense the Holy Spirit's presence in my life. May, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. God is for you. He's for you. He's not for your sin. He, he makes a great distinction of loving the individual, but he, but he cannot tolerate sin. I don't know where you are in your spiritual walk. If you live, if you live anywhere in this, this area of Georgia, you've heard the name Jesus. You've probably heard of the cross, the resurrection, and those kinds of things. But, but knowing Jesus doesn't mean that you've received Jesus. There's a big difference. And I would just press into you this. The only way that you can be okay with Almighty God is if you do it through the cross of Jesus. Have you received Him? I don't know if you have or not. You've heard of Him, but you have to receive Him in a personal way. That's the only way that you can be okay with God. And the greatest news in the world for all humanity is that we have a God who's for us. 
And he sits back and he says, you know what? I remember that time when you did that thing, when you tried to be God. Yeah, I was God. I loved you anyway. And I sent this guardrail. I sent that person. I sent that accountability partner. I sent that Bible study. I sent that conference. I sent it in the way. That way when you came upon that truth that it was a guardrail, it kind of bumped you back into relationship with me. God says, yeah, I was in that moment. Remember when you had coffee with that friend and you, you were just kind of sharing your heart and they shared that little nugget of truth and all of a sudden you heard that truth and you knew you were accountable to it and it kind of bumped you. It kind of, it, you kind of were rubbed the wrong way, but you knew what they said was right. And God's saying, you know what? I did that. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, remember that time when you were, when you were a little kid and you just felt overwhelmed in that situation and, and you realized that there was just something not right at that vacation Bible school? Yeah, I sent the Holy Spirit down to you, revealed to you that you're a sinner at that early age, and you've been walking with me ever since. You're welcome. In all generations past, he says, yeah, you, you, know, you know the whole, the whole sun, moon, and stars thing? They're actually for you, not really for me. I mean, there's a bunch of them. There's approximately, we don't even know what this, we don't even know the true amount, but I'll just give you an approximate. There are approximately 200 million stars in our galaxy, right? That's a bunch. We can't even see them all. But yeah, God knows them all. He knows them by name. It's, it's even estimated that there are approximately 200 billion galaxies also. Uh, some, somebody's an engineer, maybe you could do the math on that. Uh, I'll do my own little bit of math. That's a lot. You know, and yet every time that we try and we try and reach out and, and, and look other places to find God, God says, you know what, I'm just a little bit bigger than that. I'm a little bit beyond your searching. But he says, you know what, I send my Holy Spirit down. It does its own little bit of searching and it finds a human heart. It convicts someone of sin. You surrender your life to Christ. And then all of a sudden you feel and you rejoice in the Lord because you found something. You went from death to life. That's the hope of the gospel of Jesus. It's not found with church attendance. It's not found by putting on the right clothes. It's not found by anything else. It's only found by the blood work of Jesus Christ and the salvation that comes when you submit to His authority. There are two truths that I want you to leave with today. There is a God you are not him.